0: Turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 13, we're resuming our study there, beginning in verse 8 of Romans 13. As you turn there, I know most of you, if not all of you, I would say probably everyone in here, maybe not, know what it's like to be in debt. I I remember the, the first time I went in debt was as a junior in high school when I saved up and bought my first vehicle, a um sluggish nineteen eighty seven two door four wheel drive s ten blazer uh five speed it wouldn't spin a tire on gravel that's no exaggeration, but it got me where I needed to go. It was beat up and banged up by the time I got rid of it i well, I got rid of it because it was beat up and banged up I was in a wreck, but it was the first time I went in debt, and I worked hard to pay that thing off i I paid every penny of the $4,600 I paid for it, and I worked hard to do that. My parents, through that, taught me some valuable lessons about debt, that you don't go into debt for something that you can't pay off, Uh, you work hard to pay it off, and you don't go into so much debt that you put yourself in a bad way. The bottom line, though, I remember my dad telling me when I went and bought it was, you owe every bit of this, you have to pay it off, and so I knew that I had to do that. In Romans 13, 8-10, we pick up on a, a comment that Paul said in verse 7, where he, you'll remember in verse 7, he said to pay, all, pay to all what is owed to them. And He goes on to talk about taxes and revenue, respect and honor. And he continues that thought in Romans 13, 8-10 and talks about the fact that, that we should pay the debts we owe. But he also says that there's one debt that we will always owe. And we'll look at that this morning. Let's read our text together in Romans 13. Paul says this. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, what I what I want us to do this morning as we think about this text and we walk through it, I just want us to look, and there will be three truths that we see from each one of the verses. One, two, or sorry, verses eight, nine, and ten will give us three truths that we want to look at. And I want us to consider a couple examples of what it looks like to love your neighbor from Scripture and then leave with some practical applications for what that looks like in our lives as Grace Baptist Church, as a church, and as individuals. Certainly so on this day as we celebrate our 14th anniversary together. So in verse 8, we see our first truth. Here's the first truth we see in verse 8 is that we are to repay every debt we owe, but we will always owe love to our neighbors. So we are to pay every debt we owe, but we will always owe love to our neighbors. He begins by saying, Owe no one anything. Owe no one anything. As I, as I said, this follows verses 6 and 7, the, the, the admonition to pay to all what is due. Now, some people in the past have wrestled with this and asked the question, does this mean that we should never borrow? Does this mean that the believer should never borrow from another, that we should never go into debt? this isn't really the intent of the passage. If, if you have an NIV, it, it actually better conveys the meaning here when it by, translates it by saying, let no debt remain outstanding. Okay, that's, that's probably a better understanding for us of what Paul is saying here, that we should let no debt remain outstanding. Paul is not saying that we can never borrow. We see throughout Scripture the instructions for what it looks like to borrow. Jesus even encourages in Matthew 5, 42, he says, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Borrowing is permissible. So the passage does not forbid that. What it does do, however, is it does instruct us that we must not leave a debt outstanding. We must not leave a debt outstanding. We must pay what we owe. We don't borrow more than we can repay. Essentially, we need to be people of our word. When I borrowed that money to buy my first vehicle, I made a commitment that I'm borrowing it and I will pay it back. And so when I borrow it, I need to be a man of my word and I need to pay it back. I need to keep my word. Let no debt remain outstanding. But Paul gives an exception here. And that exception is that we will always owe love to our neighbors. We will always owe those around us a debt of love. He says, except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. We never get to the point at which we've loved enough. Sydney came home this week, and she walked in, and I didn't look at her and go, well, you know, man, she's graduated from my love. She is old enough now that I don't love her any longer. I, that she's not going to reach that point. There's no point at which my kids get to a place where I've loved them enough. That I've gotten to the point where I say, you know, I'm, I'm finished loving them. She's old enough. She's on her own. She's moving out. She's doing her thing. I don't have to owe her anymore. I don't have to love her anymore. No, I am always going to love my children. They're never going to graduate from that. And it's the same that what he's saying here is that we never graduate from or advance or go past or fulfill our obligation to love others. We are always to love our neighbors. We will always owe. That to them. Now, when he says here, he says uh, to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Some some translations say, for uh, one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. That loves another is actually literally the other man, the other man. It's not the word for neighbor. It's the other man. It's one who loves another person. The the reason this is important is elsewhere in Romans. We see a very specific admonition to love one another, to love the people of God. We talked about that in uh, Romans 12, verses 3 through 7. Instructions for how we are to interact as the body of Christ. We talked about how Jesus in John 13 said, I've given you a new commandment that you love one another. We talked about how those those qualifications and those admonitions for love in those contexts were very specific to how we love one another as the people of God. Here, Paul's not doing that. He's not saying this is how you just love the people of God. It's much broader than that. He's broadening the context. So he's dealing with how we love others in general. It certainly includes one another in here, but it is not limited to one another in here. It is how we love our neighbor, and anyone around us would be classified as our neighbor. And we see this admonition all throughout Scripture. We won't read them all, but you see it first in Leviticus 19.18, where we're instructed to love our neighbor we see it when jesus dialogues with the rich young ruler in matthew 19 he instructs him to love his neighbor we see in the greatest commandment that we meditated on in matthew 22:39 we are to love our neighbor in mark 12:31 and luke 10:27 we also see jesus saying you are to love your neighbor the greek scholar at robertson noted when he was thinking about this verse and commenting on it he said love is the only solution of our our social relations and national problems. Love is the only solution of our social relations and our national problems, which takes us into the second truth. The second truth we see in verse 9 is that love is the umbrella, so to speak, to the biblical ethic. Love could be considered the umbrella, so to speak, to the biblical ethic. It's not the foundation. The foundation to the biblical ethic would be what? It would be God's truth. God's truth, who he is, what he's commanded. That's the foundation of the biblical ethic. But the umbrella, so to speak, that covers all else is the umbrella of love. It's what what Paul says here, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You now shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. What is that word? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the umbrella that covers all commandments. So why did A.T. Robertson say what he did? Is it really that simple that, that love is the only solution for our social relations and our national problems? I would say when it comes to ethics and how we treat our neighbors, I think he's right. I, I would say it is. And, and we see that here. We see that in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39. When, when Jesus is asked by, by, by the lawyer, what is the greatest commandment? He, he breaks it down into two words. Love God and love others. He he classifies it. You know, many of you in here, the the Ten Commandments are broken down in kind of the first four pertaining to God and the last six pertaining to man. That Jesus sums that up and love God wholeheartedly and love your neighbor as yourself. And here what we're seeing here in in Romans 13, 9 is we're seeing that if I want to love my neighbor well, I simply obey God well. This, this This is why... Love is the umbrella for biblical ethics. This is why it would be that. It's because I can ask, if I want to know what is right, I can ask, what shows love to my neighbor? So if I go through the things that he lists there, I can just simply ask, Is should I commit adultery? Is it okay? Well, does that love my neighbor? Does it love my spouse to do that? Does it love those in my church body who would be hurt if I did that? Does it love my children in the midst of it? Should I murder someone? Well, does it show love to the one that I killed? Does it show love to the ones I hurt? Should I steal? Does it show love to the one I steal from, the one whose goods I take? Does it show love to the artist whose music I download illegally? Does it show love to the author I plagiarize? Does it show love? Is coveting okay? Does it show love to another to desire what they have because I want it instead of them? Does it show love to them that instead of being happy and excited and joyful over the blessings of God in their life, that I want it for myself? see, love is the determining factor for difficult ethical decisions for a believer. And a lot of times those difficult decisions really aren't all that difficult, are they? We just try to complicate them by trying to find loopholes. So love is the umbrella for biblical ethics. It's why we see in Scripture, we see this, this equating of, of breaking the law and, sh- and not showing love for your neighbor as being ungodly. Those two things. Listen to these passages. We, we, see, we see that breaking the law, not showing love for your neighbor in various ways, being called ungodly. And the, the reason we see that is that on one hand, a lack of love for another breaks the law of God, while on the other hand, breaking the law of God is always going to show a lack of neighborly love. Listen listen, to Jeremiah 9, 8-9. through God says, Their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart he plans an ambush for him. Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord, and shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? What was he going to punish them for? For speaking deceitfully, for having a tongue that's a deadly arrow, a mouth that speaks peace, but in his heart is devising anything but peace. Or in Habakkuk 2, 15 to 16, God says, woe to him, who makes his neighbors drink, you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup is in the Lord's right hand, and it will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The one who is not looking out for his neighbors' good, but is seeking to take advantage of them, the scene is ungodly. Or Psalm 12, 1 through 2. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Again, the importance of the tongue and how we build our neighbors up. Or Psalm 101, verse 5. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Do we love our neighbor Do we build them up? A lack of love for a neighbor is ungodly, for it is breaking the law of the Lord. The third truth we see, verse 10, is that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. That the good of others is the focus of genuine love. You you can't get around that. I, I can't say, well, I really love someone, but I'm not really worried about what's good for them. No, that's not true, genuine biblical love. Biblical love is not selfish. Biblical love looks first to the interests of others and it expects nothing in return. That is biblical love. And that kind of love is the fulfillment of the law because it leads us to do no wrong to our neighbors. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love... Serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We are to love and to serve our neighbor. And we see, as we saw last week, and we see again, and we see elsewhere in Scripture, this concern for, yes, we are indeed free in Christ. But we must not use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but as an opportunity to serve our neighbors, to love our neighbors. We don't use it for our own benefit, our own means. Because doing that is not a demonstration of love, it's a demonstration of selfishness. If it does wrong to a neighbor, it is not love. It's just a simple... Bottom line. Now, a few examples of this in Scripture. We saw and we, or we heard, right, in Luke 10. Pastor Ricky read Luke 10, the Good Samaritan. You can turn there for a moment if you want. I'm not going to reread the entire text. But this is a significant text because it comes on the heels of the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus' answer is what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And what? And love your neighbor as yourself. This is Luke 10, if I failed to tell you that. Luke 10. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, you will live. Now, here's the interesting thing. It is the man goes and he asks what question? What is the question? Verse 29, he says, desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So, so he shifts away from what he's called to do right he shifts away from what he's called to do and he puts the focus on what who's my neighbor like is Jeff my neighbor or is Chad my neighbor I want to know is are are you guys my neighbor or are those in Saddlebrook my neighbors Are, are my neighbors the ones that look like me think like me that I get along with or are they the ones that I don't who's my neighbor so he's deflecting the question and focusing on who is my neighbor, right? So Jesus goes and he, he, tells, him, he, he tells him the parable of the good Samaritan that, that Ricky read to us. And in that parable, you know that all three of the men walk by and they see the situation, don't they? All three of them walk by. But the Samaritan alone stops. And, and what does he do? He, they all see him, but only the Samaritan acts in love to the neighbor. If it says in verse uh, 33, it says that he saw him, he had compassion, he went to him, and he bound up his wounds. Essentially, the the, the Samaritan saw, felt, went, and served. He saw, felt, went, and served. It's a, a picture of love. And so Jesus telling that, he asked the, asked the man, he said, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? See, Jesus flips it around on him. The man was saying, "Who who's my neighbor? The, the issue is love here. And the man tries to spin it. So Jesus, in his wisdom, spins it back. And he says, okay, if you want to play that game, let's play it. Don't worry about who's your neighbor. I want to know, are you being a neighbor? Are you being a neighbor that loves? The man rightly answers, the one who showed him mercy. That's who it is. Now, James 2, 1 through 10 is another example. James 2, 1 through 10, you see how quickly... In Luke 10, right, we tend to shift and we want to determine, well, who's my neighbor? We're trying to deflect the question, right? Well, in James 2, I think James speaks to this same issue. He says, beginning in verse 1, listen to this, he says, My brother, show no partiality. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So he's dealing with this idea of partiality, right? This idea that we would look and go, well, I'm going to determine who I love more or less based on how they look or, or what I like or dislike, how they might make me look, what they can give me. Now listen to what James says. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Genuine love for neighbor does not show partiality. It, it just simply means that we love our neighbor. We don't choose which one is lovable or not. So love moves us to action, to to love our neighbor. It looks like the good Samaritan who, who sees the need, who feels compassion, who moves toward the need, and then meets the need, serves the individual. Genuine love for neighbor does not show partiality. And I would say one other example, we do not gonna have time to read all this. I would encourage you to read it at home, but it's 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, I think we see a remarkable and a quite challenging dialogue with Paul and the Corinthian church. Where Paul, Paul looks and he, 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 he goes into this dialogue about food offered up to idols. And then in, that's in chapter 8, chapter 9, he talks about surrendering his rights for the sake of the gospel. But in chapter 8, just hitting a, a few high points, verse 1, he says concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but this quote-unquote knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you want to know what it looks like to love, you build others up. And he goes in and he says, listen, the issue is not what you know, but how you build others up. And he talks about should we eat food sacrificed to idols or not? And he talks about how some would see that and it would cause them to stumble. He talks about, again, that issue of freedom or, or rights. In verse 9, he says, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. He's saying, listen, I know that you know that eating is not, you're not eating an idol. I mean, you're eating that meat to an idol for the sake of worshiping that idol. I understand that you're not doing that. And you know that yourself. But listen, you need to take care that this right that you have and this knowledge you have does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Because when it does, in verse 12, he says, you're sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience. When it's weak, you sin against Christ. If food, he says in verse 13, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul's desire is to build up, not just to go, hey, this is what I know. This is how I am going to handle this. I'm not worried about others around me. In verse or chapter 9, he talks about the rights he has as an apostle. He talks about, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? He goes on to defend his apostleship and, and asks them, go ahead, examine me. He looks at that and he, he says, I, he, he just relays to the Corinthians that I have just as many rights as anybody else to carry out my life. But then he says in verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, he's talking about he and Barnabas. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Listen, love for your neighbor knows that the priority is the gospel over personal rights and freedoms. He's not going to just say, I'm free to live however I want. and the grace of God, I'm going to just do what I want to do. And I'm going to do it because that's what I want to do. At the detriment of others around me. Now, in, in chapter 8, you, you could probably make a, an argument that he's really thinking about brothers. He may be talking about Jewish brothers, but in verse nine, he's definitely ta- or chapter 9, he's definitely talking about the advancement of the gospel. And later in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Paul is surrendering his rights. In verse 22, you have that classic verse that many of you have probably heard, To the weak I become weak. That I might win the week. I have become all things to all people. That I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That I may share with them in its blessings. Listen. To love your neighbor means. That you look for their interests before your own. It means you prioritize the gospel. Above all else. It means that you do not show partiality. It means that you are moved to act. That's what love for neighbor is. So I want to give you a few practical ways from Scripture to love your neighbor well. Just some quick hitting points. The first two, quite honestly, well, they're Scripture, so obviously it's wise, but to me it just kind of made me laugh, and I wanted to share them with you. Proverbs 25, 17, how do you love your neighbor well? Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Essentially, don't wear out your welcome, right? Proverbs 27, 14, the second way to love your neighbor well. This is a great one. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Don't step out your back door and start yelling and waking your neighbors up. Love them well, right? Solomon with some keen wisdom to get you through your week. But what does it look like to love your neighbor well? How about... Galatians 5, 13 to 14, what we talked about, it means to serve others. You want to love your neighbors well? Serve them. Serve them. Consider what their needs are and how you might meet those needs. Second, what we talked about in Luke 10, show mercy to those in need. Show mercy to those in need. Who is the one who loved his neighbor well, according to Jesus? The one who showed mercy. To show mercy. Third, we learn in 1 Corinthians 8. That is the sacrifice of our own time, rights, freedoms, and desires for the good of others. Do you want to love your neighbor well? Then think more about them than you do about yourself. Be willing to sacrifice your own time. Your own desires. Your own rights. Your own freedoms. For the sake of others in the advance of the gospel. Fourth, I think we learn from that classic passage, John 3:16, that love for your neighbor I means sharing the gospel. It was love that compelled God to send his one and only son. It is love that drives us to tell people of the hope that we have in Christ. It is love that, wants, that, that causes us to want to relay the truth that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That all who believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then finally, what we saw in James 2, 8-9. Don't show partiality. Don't determine that I will or will not love my neighbor because of what he or she looks like. Because of what he or she has done. Because of what he or she agrees with me or does not agree with me, what they posted on Facebook, what they tweeted, their political stance, their financial means, their situation in life, show no partiality. So as we look ahead as Grace Baptist Church, I want us to look ahead as a church that is going to love our neighbors Well, we're a church that I believe has a very unique love for one another. It beats all I've seen personally. As I talk to other pastors, they're envious, (laughs) you might say, of the love that we have for one another, the unity. But I, I want us to take that and to not only not lose that, not decrease it in any way, but to take that to our community in such a way that not only is it a love that we have for one another, but it's a love of serving our neighbors and loving them well. I, I want us to be a church that wants to love our neighbors, that seeks to love our community, that seeks to say this is the love of Christ. We want you to see it in how we love one another, but we want you to experience as we experience it as we serve you. I heard, I heard it asked one time, a question, if your community woke up tomorrow morning and your church disappeared, would anyone care? And I think that's a serious question we have to ask. If our church was just vaporized, we woke up tomorrow morning and, and this plot of land is just, is just bare, like it was before we moved here in 2012, would anyone care? Would our community grieve over the absence of this local body or would our community go that's one less group of people trying to pull from us and mooch off of us and get something from us are we loving our neighbors are we a burden to our neighbors or are we a blessing to our neighbors do the houses in saddlebrook twin lakes do they look and say i am so thankful that grace baptist church is there or do they look and go, man, I wish that church was not there. Listen, I don't expect everyone in Somerset to come to Grace Baptist. I don't even expect everyone in Somerset to agree with us on everything. It's just not going to happen, right? And it shouldn't happen. There's other churches here. We want to see other churches grow and you be used for the sake of the gospel. But you know what I do expect and what I do hope for is that there is no one in Somerset that can question our love for our community. There's there's no one in Somerset that would question our love for our neighbors. We're we're 14 years old. And you know, after last week, that we're expanding ministry opportunities within our body. We're we're providing more opportunities for you to minister one another, but I, I pray that this would also expand our ministry footprint outside of our body. That it would make us more effective in doing ministry in the community. That it would not just be limited to us. That we would not just be inward focused, but we would be outward focused as well. And that we would be a church that seizes every opportunity that God gives us to love our community. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I know that I want it to look like the people that look and they see Grace Baptist and they say, Wow, I don't know everything about them. I don't go there, but I know that they love us. And I know that even more than they love us, they love their God. That's that's what I desire for our church. That's where, looking forward, I want to see us making an impact and loving our community well. And, And I hope you'll be praying about that. What does that look like for us as a church? But I hope that you'll be thinking through, what does that look like for me as an individual? What does it look like for me as an individual to love people well, to love my neighbors well? James says to be a doer of the word. The precedent of the Samaritan was one who was moved to action. So what does it look like for us to be doers of the Word? What does it look like for us to be moved to action? What does it look like for us to express biblical love to our neighbors? I I don't know. It may may look like you thinking ahead and putting a box in your car of of non-perishable goods. So that when you come to the four-way at Walmart or at the bend of 80, and somebody's there with a sign saying, needs help, that you have something to give them. I know in in your day, or in our day, sorry, you're probably like me at times where you're you're skeptical and you're trying to wonder, well, if I give them money, are they going to spend it on drugs or are they going to go buy alcohol or what are they going to do? Are they going to really use it for good? So why not think ahead and put together some things that you can give them something for food that you know they can need. They're not going to spend it on something sinful. Maybe it means raking your neighbor's yard. Just going and serving them. Maybe it means sending a card to someone that you know is going through a hard time. Maybe it means opening your home in a difficult season. Maybe it means dropping off groceries to a family in need. Maybe it simply means walking up and down your street and praying for people as you go and stopping and talking to them and seeing what they need and how you can pray for them. I don't know what it looks like. I know that I want us to be a church that loves our neighbors well. And I don't want this passage to just fall on deaf ears. As we turn 14, I want us to be a body who does no wrong to our neighbors, but that loves our neighbors well and fulfills the law of our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for loving us, for sending your son to die for us. And God, our prayer is that we would be a body of believers who love our neighbors well. That, God, we would not be so set on our lives and our time and our desires that we fail to serve those around us, so God, I pray that we would serve our neighbors, that we would love them, that we would not show partiality, that we would show mercy, we would proclaim the gospel, all for Your glory and for the good of those in this community. And that is our prayer. And God, we need Your grace in our lives to do it. So, God, would you strengthen us by your grace to love our neighbors well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.